with a group called the Hannah Project. You see the logo up there. The Hannah Project is a Christian humanitarian organization existing to bring help, hope, and healing to those in need around the world. Hannah Project focuses on meeting practical needs and providing direct solutions to real problems people, uh, international communities face. The Hannah Project seeks to team up with local field workers and Free Will Baptist churches to meet the real needs of that community or the region. Part of the purpose of what the Hannah Project does is to lend credibility and visibility to the ongoing efforts of the local workers and the Free Will Baptist churches that are there. Past teams in the Hannah Project have contributed significantly to Bulgaria, the Ivory Coast, Cuba, Ecuador, Japan, Kazakhstan, the Dominican Republic, and Tajikistan. Uh, the Hannah Project has done quite a few things in Bulgaria prior to this year. Uh, they remodeled the children's wing of the local hospital, the same hospital we were in. They remodeled the internal medicine wing of that hospital in a different year. They painted and remodeled the playground for the school for children with disabilities. In fact, the school has a swing for kids in wheelchairs, and it was the first swing of its kind in Bulgaria, and the Hanna Project made that happen for them. They do this stuff like this all over the world all the time. Now, our church has worked with the Hanna Project prior to Sarah and I going to Bulgaria in 2018. Probably like 17 years ago, me and Bill and Kirby Jenkins, we went to Brahms and Liberal, and they were tearing down their playground, and we, we went there at like 9 o'clock at night, and we tore it down until about 2 or 3 in the morning, put it in a U-Haul. A couple of days later, we delivered it to a fellow named Brad uh, Ransom, and they delivered it to Kazakhstan, where it was set up as a playground for children there that never had a playground before. In Bulgaria, where we were, there's a, a Free Will Baptist church. Can anyone read this sign and read what it says? Now, the logo should be familiar. You see the Free Will Baptist logo. But can anyone read what it says? Most of us don't even look like letters, do they? Uh, it says, Bulgarian Protestant Church, New Life. The missionaries, the, plant, the church pastor there is Tim Autry and his wife Lydia. Uh, both were involved in, they met in Bulgaria while they were both involved in college evangelistic ministry. Lydia is actually Bulgarian. She was raised in Svistov where we work. Tim was a part of I don't know, it may have been Campus Crusade for Christ, but something along those lines. And he was doing campus outreach uh, in, the local, in the colleges through Bulgaria. And as they, they met doing those evangelistic outreach, fell in love, married. Uh, and as they continued to work and do that, they realized that the, the people that they were seeing come to Christ did not have Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches that they could go back to. So discipleship was failing among those who were coming to Christ in Bulgaria. So they determined that what God was calling them to do was to be church planners in Bulgaria. So they came back to America. They went to Bible college. They got the training they needed so they could go back and plant healthy churches in Bulgaria. Uh, they were the very first Free Will Baptist church in Bulgaria. Uh, they, In fact, Free Will Baptist had no works there and had no intention of going there. And they were able to convince them to send people to Bulgaria. Right now there are uh Three other churches in Bulgaria besides theirs, but theirs was the very first one. Tim and Lydia have been in Svistov planting churches since 2005. Uh, there are now four works, and they were the first one. So this is our team. Right, so I want to show you kind of our team. This is the very first team picture we had. As you know, Sarah was in Houston, and we were in Chicago. I'll tell the story about Sarah in Houston in just a second. Uh, but we had a good time with our team this is at a monastery in the mountains. It's actually a nunnery monastery. Uh, and you talk about a beautiful, peaceful place. That was nice. Uh, this was after the lady in the middle there. That is my coffee buddy that Jacob was talking about. This was the night after the Saturday night after our projects were done and we hosted the people. This is some of the things we did. We walked around, fished off, took pictures. We went out and ate a couple of times. We played cards uh, on the roof of the hotel late at night. Now... Sarah had an interesting trip to Bulgaria. It started when we made the plans. Sarah initially signed on to go to the Hannah Project, just like Jacob and I were doing. But over the course of time, she felt like God was leading her to be an intern to stay longer. Well, college interns in Free Will Baptist go on a different organization than the Hannah Project. So they had to schedule our flights first. And then they scheduled hers. The goal was to schedule hers to coincide with ours, but that wasn't able to happen. So Sarah, Jacob, and I flew out from Amarillo at like 7 in the morning to Houston. 
Jacob and I landed in Houston. We fist bumped Sarah, told her to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we had to double time it to our gate so we could fly to Chicago. Sarah was supposed to wait until about 3.50 where she would fly from Houston all the way to Frankfurt. Uh, she would fly from Frankfurt to Sophia where we would already be. Because we would fly from uh, Houston to Chicago, Chicago to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Sophia. We would link up with our team in Chicago. When we landed in Sophia... We were expecting to wait about an hour for Sarah to arrive. And what we told was Sarah missed her plane at Frankfurt. Well, what happened was the plane out of Houston left about 45 minutes late. And when she landed in Frankfurt, she still had to go through German security, German version of TSA. And they are very serious about what you're doing when you go through their security system. So she arrived to her gate six minutes late and her flight was already en route to Sofia. So after finding another plane that was going to arrive her in Sophia about 10 o'clock at night, uh, the, uh, Tim, our, the pastor in Fishtoff, told us, go ahead and y'all go back. We had a bus waiting on us. Y'all go back. Okay, I've got to ride somewhere else and I'll bring Sarah and we'll get to Fishtoff around 11 or 12 tonight. He said, okay. Well, about 10.30, 11 o'clock, we get a call from Tim. Sarah's going to be late. It's going to be about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning before she arrives because her flight was coming in late. So be ready for that. Okay, that's fine. So we go to bed. About 3 in the morning, Jacob wakes me up because Caitlin has called Jacob. And Sarah is in Bucharest, Romania, which is not where she was supposed to be at 1 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. So we get a hold of her and we try to find out what happened. Well, her flight was flying into Sofia. And as it was flying into Sofia, there was a big storm. And every time the, trend, the flight would try to go in, it was being shaken to the point that they thought they were going to crash. They were running low on fuel. So the pilot made the command decision to reroute to Bucharest, Romania. When Sarah landed in Romania, she had zero contact with anyone. She couldn't get a hold of me. She couldn't get a hold of Jacob. She couldn't get a hold of Tim. Tim, on his end, was watching the flights on the board at the airport and on an app he has, and suddenly her flight vanished. It just was gone off the boards. So he goes to the information desk and he says, hey, what happened to flight such and such? And the information desk says, we have no information. Tim points at the sign above her head that says information, says, literally, that's your only job in life is to have information on the flights. And they said, we don't have any. And he said, this is a problem. I've got somebody on that flight. Where is it at? And she said, we don't know. And he said, well, who knows? And he said, the pilot. And she said, who has contact with the pilot? Nobody. So Tim knows the storms out there, has no idea. Suddenly Sarah's plane has vanished. He has no idea where she's at. He can't get a hold of her. She can't get a hold of him. Lo and behold, I swear this is the truth of what happened. Lo and behold, Caitlin was bored. And decided, I'm going to check to find out what Sarah's doing. And she FaceTimed Sarah. And in the whole planet, Earth, was the only person who could get a call through to Sarah in Bucharest, Romania. Got through to her. Sarah told her the story of what was happening. Caitlin couldn't get a hold of me. Jacob happened to, when Jacob, when we landed in Frankfurt, Jacob's phone said, hey, enjoy a free week of data while you're in Germany, while you're in Europe. So he took it and he used it, thankfully, because Sarah or Caitlin was able to get a hold of him. He got a hold of me. We were able to get a hold of Sarah, then get able to get a hold of Tim. And so she waited hours and hours for her luggage to come in. Luggage was not coming. Luggage was not coming. Finally, there would be like one piece of luggage. An hour later, another piece. It was just a long, drawn out. Finally, she got her luggage. And they half the plane, they rerouted to Istanbul to Sofia. And the other half, they were going to reroute to Back to Frankfurt and then back to Sofia. Sarah was on the go back to Frankfurt, then come back to Sofia team. So she checks her bags. She waits. We finally go to sleep about five in the morning. Seven o'clock, I get up. Kelly sends a, a screenshot of our phones. We do the track your the, the track your friends or find your friends app on YouTube or on the iPhones. And, and it showed that she was close. I didn't realize how close Bucharest was. I knew Romania was right across the river. Uh, but Bucharest was only 75 miles away. So I send a message to Tim. I'm like, it's only 75 miles. Even if we have to go there this afternoon, late after church, surely our going and getting her is faster than her flying to Frankfurt. Tim says, yes, I agree. Uh, if you can keep her off that flight, then we'll have somebody go get her. 
Well, it was time for her to be loading on the flight. So furiously, I try to get a hold of her. No answer. She's fallen asleep now. So she's not answering her text. She's not answering her phones. We have a family group chat. And so I'm like, everybody calls Sarah. So everybody's calling Sarah. Somebody happens to come along and tap her, tell her, hey, our, our flight's been moved gates. Wake up. She wakes up. She has like 3,000 missed texts and calls and, uh, from people. Calls or Jacob calls her. He gets through. We tell her what to do. And so we wait. Uh, and so it's just a matter of now we don't know who's going to get her, but somebody is going to. Finally, Tim and Lydia find a friend of theirs who is a taxi driver. He's at a he's actually at a tennis tournament about to play, and he he says he'll go to get her. So whew, all's fine. He's on the way. Take about three hours for him to get there. About three hours for them to get back. All is well. Then when they get there, the airport wasn't that big, but they kept missing each other. So Sarah's at one place, and she sends a text showing the place. So the guy goes there. By that time, she's moved, and she's in a different place. So they're missing each other for about an hour. Finally, they link up. She gets in the taxi cab, falls asleep. First time she's slept. In a, I mean, this is it's Sunday at this point. At Sunday about noon, 2 o'clock, when she's been picked up. She has literally been in airports since Friday at 6 o'clock in the morning, um, America time. She has not eaten because the flight from didn't offer food in the last flight. She has not had any water because the water out of the out of the tap water in Romania is apparently not able to be drunk without killing you. Uh, she doesn't have any Romanian money. They don't take Apple Pay at the Romanian airport, and the because it's three in the morning, the exchange place is closed. So she has she's just spent there the night there, trapped with no money, no food, no water. The, the cab driver feels so sorry for her but when he sees her goes to sleep, how delicate she looks. He stops and gets her some food and some snacks. And then we finally linked up about 5.30 in the afternoon. And we went out to eat that night. And you can see she did not make it much into that night before she gave up. So that was Sarah and her her fun trip to Bulgaria. We're hoping the last half of her experience is not quite as exciting as the first half. Uh, here's just some random pictures from Bulgaria. Bulgaria is a very beautiful place. That's my favorite view in all of Bulgaria. That picture doesn't do it justice. Uh, it's down the main street at the, outside the, the church. This is a painting of Svishtov that was commissioned by all the parents, most of the parents of Svishtov for the pediatrician. They have one pediatrician in Svishtov who works at the hospital. She is... Old enough to retire and wants to retire, but if she does, there will be no pediatrician in Svishtoff at all, and the pediatric ward would close down. She stayed through there. When many doctors quit during COVID, she stayed. She took care of their kids, uh, and so the parents got together, and they commissioned this painting for her to show because of her love for Svishtoff. This is uh, Turnovo. This is on a bridge, looking down opposite directions of the bridge. If you look at all of those pictures, all of those houses, and I'll talk about this more in a minute, understand Almost nobody in those houses that are represented in those, those apartment complex has ever heard about Jesus. Right? There are probably, Turnovo is much larger than Svishtov, uh, and there are probably less than a hundred believers in, in Turnovo. So now all of those houses, all of those people, almost none of them know Jesus. That, this, the, the sunset is, the, or the sunrise over our hotel in Svishtov over our hotel one morning, uh, the bridge, is where we went on our tour the day. I think it was Atera is how you say the name of it. It was basically a, it's kind of like Williamsburg for, for Bulgaria. Kind of historical period in Bulgarian time where they still did things in the old way. It was pretty neat. Uh, one is the wheel of life. You're born, you go up, and when you're in the crown, that's the, t- the top of your, your, your vigor and your strength. And you start to go down and you die. And you're swallowed by the fish. The other is an ancient Bulgarian outhouse. I'll leave it to you to imagination to figure out how things work there. Uh, Ten Commandments. Monastery. Picture of the monastery. uh, Bulgarian Orthodox monastery. Bulgarian Orthodox use a lot of pictures. The reason is, back in the olden days, most Bulgarians couldn't read. And so what they would do is they would paint Bible stories on the wall and on the ceiling of the chapels. And they would say, we're going to talk about this story, and they would point to it. 
people couldn't read it, but they could follow along with the pictures and they could see the story. Uh, this one is a duck. Now, I know it's just a picture of a duck, but if you could look close up, that is the angriest duck statue you have ever seen in your life. I mean, it is, it, it's at the monastery. I have no idea why it was so angry. That was a water fountain that was like fed by a fresh mountain stream. Uh, just put water perpetually ran through there. You can see the cup on the side that you would use to get drinks. We filled up our water bottles. It was very good water. That is a sunset in Svishtof. That is darkness in Svishtof. The nighttime from a particular place. Bulgarian food. Uh, Bulgarian food is interesting. It's different than American food. Uh, on the bottom there is a basically a pig in a blanket from a Bulgarian sausage, which is not like a hot dog or like a typical American summer sausage. The plate of meal is a is chicken on a stick, boiled potatoes, and a pork patty that's kind of like a, a, a brat, kind of like a bratwurst patty. And then some, I think they were smoked chilies that were cold. And then the dessert, uh, that is literally just sugar. I mean, it's sugar in different ways. Sugar that's been whipped, sugar that has been creamed, sugar, sugar, sugar. If you are diabetic issues, don't look too hard at that picture. It was incredibly sweet. One night we went out to eat without uh, Tim and Lydia. They had something else going on at the church. And so we went to, we picked a restaurant when we got there. They did not have English menus. So we all had to use Google Translate on our phones to try to translate as best they can. Uh, fun fact, Google Translate does not make Bulgaria a high priority, so it's not always overly active, but it was able to get the food close enough that we were able to get something to eat. This was one day's meals, uh, what we had. I had the pizza for breakfast, and the meat on there is not like pepperoni or Canadian bacon. It's a Bulgarian summer sausage, kind of like salami. Chicken and rice, uh, that's like... Vanilla flan is the that one, and the coffee there is is very very strong. Uh, the sandwich at the top that is the greatest sandwich known to mankind. It's called a donor. It is lamb meat that has been roasted and then fried, mixed with red onions, uh, some sort of Turkish spices, garlic ranch dressing, and there are French fries in there. I had two on that day. That was a good day. <laughs> Went out to eat with a couple of the, the kids from the day we did a teen outreach one night. A couple of the teenagers went with us out to eat. We had pork chops and stirred vegetables. They were very good. Our work. Uh, our work, we did quite a few things. First day, we had church. I preached through an interpreter. I was busy, so I didn't get a picture of that. Uh, we took communion after the service. Jacob helped fill the communion cups. The girls and our team helped get the dinner ready, and then we cleaned up. Afterward, most of our work was done in the hospital of Svishtoff. From basically 8 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon, we were at the hospital. Uh, specifically, we were at the neurology ward and what we were doing. This is our, us arriving on our first day. But arriving at the hospital required us to walk up a ridiculous amount of stairs. I mean, it was just this never-ending cycle of stairs. This was the last group. We walked up these stairs, and then we walked just a little bit to the hospital where we found even more stairs. From our hotel room to the hospital floor where we worked was .67 miles, and we walked up 275 stairs. They call them heart attack stairs, and it was, it was iffy. I tried the first day, one of the team members was talking to me, and we made it up part of the way up, and I was just like... You're just going to have to stop talking, Brittany. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die. So at the top, we'll carry on this conversation, but I, I can't do it. And what I want to do now is rather than show you some pictures, I want to show you a video that we made, our team leader made, of the, what we did at the hospital. Oh, that's not the video. Oh, that's the video. Okay. Okay. Okay.
In the end, we replaced about half the beds. We bought 25 new pillows, bought blinds that were put in all the rooms, paid to have about half the toilets replaced, and painted everything. This was a... Of the projects we've done in in Svishtoff, this was the most expensive. Normally because things are less expensive in Bulgaria than they are in America. There's leftover that gets put forward towards the next years. This year, our team leader literally spent every dollar that we had in order to to pay for the renovations. And, And you guys, again, as Jacob said, you guys had a part in that. Everything you guys went to, everything you guys gave to them, the $500 the church gave, those who gave extra... It went to improving this hospital, doing this. Um, it's hard to put into words how different it looks. The before pictures were, you just couldn't do it justice to see it. The blinds we put in, we didn't replace blinds. We put blinds in. So the hospital was set, and in the latter half of the day, the sun came in the windows. This was the neurology ward. And so people who had strokes and heart attacks laid there as the sun shone in and there was no no reprieve, no break for them at all because they could not afford to put blinds in there. We bought the blinds uh, and because of the need, the Bulgarian uh, business paid to have them installed. So we had a part in that. Everything that happened in that church, in that hospital uh, is going, is, is our church is a part of, of what happened there. The patients who go there We'll be able to go there and think maybe we are going to live. Maybe it is going to be okay. Uh, and that was because in part of all that, that you guys gave and that you guys did. What we did in, in Svishtoff, it made national news. The mayor came one day to thank us. And he came with uh, the hospital director. He took pictures. Of course, because he's a politician, he took pictures and shared it. And it sort of went viral on their Facebook page. It was picked up by a local newspaper and it sort of went viral from there and on the day that we were flying back on monday uh what would i guess be the almost the equivalent of the bulgarian good morning america got a hold of tim and lydia and asked if they could interview them so on tuesday morning national news in bulgaria talked about volunteers from america who renovated the neurology ward and the municipal hospital 
And they did it not just because they're good people. Tim and Lydia were very clear. They did it because of Jesus. Now, I'll talk a bit about Bulgaria, and you'll understand why talking about Jesus on national TV is such a significant issue. But they were able to talk about this is what Christians do. When you love Jesus and you know Jesus, you serve and you do things. And so God was glorified across all of Bulgaria uh, through through the work that we did up there. It was amazing. Now this, this is fished off from the hill. The big white building in the back, that's the hospital. And that's basically end to end of the town. And I just want you to look at that and think about how many people are represented by the houses and the apartments in this picture. It's a little over 30,000, like 37,000 at the last census that they did. Out of those 37,000 people represented, there are maybe 50 people who know Jesus who are there. The vast majority of those people, they will live and they will die. And they will probably not even hear the good news of great joy that a Savior has come. And I want to spend the rest of the service explaining the spiritual condition of Bulgaria, specifically Svishtov, where we were. Bulgaria was part of the old communist Soviet Republic. When the communists took over, they kicked the Roman Catholic priests out of the country. They martyred the Protestant pastors and they replaced the Bulgarian Orthodox priests with KGB agents. This was the religious atmosphere of Bulgaria until the collapse of communism. Now, if we take the collapse of communism to coincide with the fall of the Berlin Wall, then the collapse of communism began in 1989. I was a senior in high school when the wall came down. I turned 50 this year. So if you're a Bulgarian, my age or older, you were raised entirely in a communist society. Atheism is one of the basic tenets of communism. To go to university, you have to affirm atheism. To hold any sort of significant job in the community, you have to affirm atheism. You have to be a good party member and you have to affirm atheism. This was the culture of Bulgaria from the late 1940s until the 1990s. As you can imagine, 50-ish years of communism and atheism have an impact on a society that is not undone easily. Bulgarians since the fall of Communism have embraced a nihilistic or hedonistic worldview. Nihilism says life is meaningless. Nihilism is often associated with extreme pessimism and radical skepticism. This means Bulgarians typically do not think things can or will get better. It also means they are skeptical of anything or anyone who promises things can or will get better. Things like the government. Things like a church. Hedonism says life is about pleasuring yourself. Hedonism is about is associated with living for today and doing whatever you want to do. The the sort of what we would say in America, what they, the kids used to say, YOLO, is kind of the same sort of a mindset. You live for today. Don't worry about the consequences. Just do what feels good to you. Now, Bulgarians have an interesting relationship with the church. The Bulgarian constitution recognizes Eastern Orthodox Christianity as the country's traditional religion. Eastern Orthodox Christianity is expressed through the Bulgarian Orthodox Church in Bulgaria. Being a part of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church is a part of what it means to be Bulgarian. Not necessarily just part of being Christian, but a part of being Bulgarian is you are a part of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. Protestant and evangelical Christianity is viewed in a very negative way. It is almost seen as a foreign influence bringing foreign religion into their country, seeking to change the very fabric of who Bulgarians are. Protestant churches, evangelical churches are viewed largely as cults seeking to lead people astray. Now you'd think what this meant was that they were passionate in their devotion to the Bulgarian Orthodox Church, but you'd be wrong. Remember, people my age and up were raised to be communists and atheists. People younger than me were raised by former communists and atheists. They grew up with a nihilistic and hedonistic worldview. They're skeptical of the church because for so many years the church was in on it with the government. This leaves Bulgarians not overly concerned about eternal issues. Is there a God? 
Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Those really aren't important issues of the day for them. The net result is that few Bulgarians have any idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Most Bulgarians go to church on four occasions. They go when they're born. So they can be baptized in the Bulgarian Orthodox Church and be good Bulgarian citizens. They go when they're married, so the marriage can be blessed by the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. When their kids are born, they take them to the Bulgarian Orthodox Church so they can be baptized into the church and be good citizens. And then when they die, they go to the Orthodox Church so they can be buried in the proper way. They have no relationship with the church. They have no relationship with Jesus. What's more, they don't want a relationship with the church. And they don't want a relationship with Jesus. So I want you to imagine with me for a second, we're Bulgarians. Imagine we live in a town about twice the size of ours that has about 30,000 people in it. And imagine with this that while our town of having 30,000 people is only about three or four miles in length from one end of it to the other. Virtually no one lives out of town except for a few farmers. All 30,000 people live in this three to four mile area. At the same time, no businesses are out of town. All the businesses and all the people live in town. There are very few houses and nearly everyone lives in apartments. And there's just stuff everywhere. If you can fit a business in a spot, then they fit a business in that spot. There are buildings and apartments and businesses and restaurants. You name it. They're all crammed together in this three to four mile area. Now imagine it's Sunday in this town and you're in a free will Baptist church. I want you to look around. I want you to look around at who's in this room with you today. And in this Bulgarian town we're a part of, we're the only Christians here. We are the only disciples of Jesus in this community. You are most likely the very first Christian in your family. You may well be the only Christian in your family ever. Now this has some serious implications for your life. Every person... In your family who lived or died. Lived and died without knowing Jesus. Every person in your family still living. Is separated from Jesus and lost. Every person you work with. Is separated from Jesus and lost. Every person in your apartment complex. Is separated from Jesus and lost. Every day as you walk down the street. You see signs that are death notices. Well, the way they grieve for three months is they post notices all over. And there are just hundreds of death notices as you walk down the street on the walls. And every person represented in those death notices died without Jesus and went to hell. Every child your child goes to school with is separated from Jesus and lost. Every parent of every child your child goes to school with is separated from Jesus and lost. Once you walk out of this building today, every person you see who is not a part of this church is lost. Does that feel weighty? Should. But that's not all the weight there is. See, even though your friends and family, they don't go to the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. And and even though they really don't expect you to go to the Bulgarian Orthodox Church, they do expect you not to go anywhere else. And they're not happy that you're here today. Melissa, the school board doesn't like that you're here. They're not sure they can trust you in the position you have over teachers and over students because you're a part of a cult. How do they know you're not going to try to indoctrinate those students into your cult? So every week they're going to call you in and they're going to tell you that they might have to fire you if you continue to go to this church. They're not going to give you a definite yes or no, but they're going to keep you in a constant state of anxiety week after week, month after month, all through the school year. And at the end of the school year, they're going to tell you they may not be able to hire you back next year. This is your daily life. This is what you experience every week, every month that you're in that position you're in. Evelyn, your family is not happy you're here today. And they're going to do everything they can. They feel you're being unpatriotic. You're not being Bulgarian. This is an American religion you're a part of. So they're going to do everything they can to keep you out of church on Sundays. They're going to schedule family events during church time. And if you don't come, they're going to be harsh with you about it. Then they're going, because you chose to come to church rather than go to the family events, they're going to schedule family events and not tell you about it. But once it's going on, make sure you know it happened and that you weren't invited. 
They want you to feel the pain of not having a family. So you'll think twice about coming in here and going to church with us. Christina, nobody in your apartment complex likes that you go here. You were friends before, but now that they know that you you go to church here, they won't talk to you. They did before. You notice that William is not allowed to play with other kids. Their, their, Their kids will not be allowed to play with him. He can't go to their house. They can't come to your house. Everyone treats you differently. They they basically shun you. They act like they can't trust you. They act like they're going to you're going to do something to you. This is the daily life of what it is for the Bulgarian brothers and sisters in our church in Svistov. The events that I talked about are not things I just randomly made up. Those are stories they have, things that have happened to them. But despite the opposition and the difficulty. The disciples of Jesus in Bulgaria, they keep going to church. The pastors in Bulgaria keep preaching the gospel and keep trying to start new works. It's hard work. Bulgaria is hard ground for the gospel to take root. Tim told me many of mission agencies have pulled their field workers out of Bulgaria because there's just so little return on their investment. So why do the Bulgarian disciples continue in faithfulness to Jesus when so much in their life Tries to pull them away. Why do Tim and the other field workers stay when it's hard? Why do free will Baptists keep their field workers in Bulgaria instead of pulling them out? Why does the Hanna Project send teams, two teams, to Bulgaria every year? Why do Jacob, Sarah, and I have every intention of going back next year? Before I answer those questions, I want to ask them in another way. Why do you continue in faithfulness to Jesus when so much tries to pull you away? Why do we continue to reach out to our friends, our relatives, our associates and our neighbors about Jesus, despite the fact so few seem to care? Why do we keep going instead of giving up? I want to give you the answer to that. Open your Bible to Revelation 5, verse 9. Should be page 952 in your pew Bible. And we don't have time to do a deep dive this morning. Time's almost up. Revelation 5 and 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered. You purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I want to give you two reasons why Team Bulgaria Keeps on. Why? Team Gaiman must keep on. The first is Jesus died for people. Notice the elders sing a song. They're praising Christ. And notice the words. You were slaughtered. Now when we talk about Jesus being slaughtered, we must understand Jesus' death had a purpose. Jesus' horrific death wasn't because he was the martyr for the cause. It wasn't because he made the wrong people angry. It wasn't an example. Jesus died because of sin. It was because of your sin and because of my sin and because of the sins of the people in Bulgaria. God's word teaches the wages of sin is death. Every sin makes the person who sinned deserving of death. Every sin. This is the earned wage of sin. And the punishment for sinning against an infinitely holy God is not merely physical death or even spiritual death. It is eternal death. Eternal death is to be cast the lake of fire to hell for all of eternity. Revelation 20 and 14 calls this the second death. The horrors of hell show us the terrible wrath of God against sin. It is this wrath Jesus took in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't being abused and murdered by the Romans. He was also facing the fierceness of God's wrath against our sin in our place. But Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus' resurrection powerfully declares he's the son of God who died for the sins of the world and now offers redemption and righteousness to all who would believe on him. Now, this message, if true, demands a response from us. If this message is true, 
It demands we turn from our sin and we believe the message. I mean, if it's true, then the only rational response is to turn from the sin which brings the wrath of God upon us and believe in the Jesus who died to save us from the wrath to come. But that's not the only response. If this message is true, it demands we share it with others. If Jesus really died for the sins of the world, and if Jesus really rose from the dead, and if Jesus alone really offers salvation and to be safe, causes people to be saved from the wrath of God, we must share it. If this is the only message and the only hope anyone has of being saved from hell, what kind of awful people would we be to keep this message to ourselves and refuse to share it with others? Team Bulgaria stays in Bulgaria and keeps on going because Jesus died for the Bulgarian people. And they must hear this message. So they can believe this message. They can turn from their sins. They can call on Jesus. And they can be saved by Jesus. Same way Team Guyman. We stay in Guyman. And we keep going in Guyman. Because Jesus died for the people in Guyman. And the people in Guyman must hear the message. So they can believe the message. They can turn from their sins. And they can call on Jesus to save them. Jesus died for people, but also Jesus is redeeming people. Jesus' death accomplished something. It accomplished the redemption of people from every tribe and language and people and nation on the planet. In Revelation 7, 9, we get a similar picture of this. We're told there's a a great multitude which no one can count. And they are from every nation and all the tribes and all the peoples and all the languages. And they're standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And they're clothed with white robes and palm branches are in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As the gospel goes into all the world, people from all over the world will believe in Jesus. They will turn to Jesus. They will call on Jesus. And and they will be saved by their sins. Jesus has died to save the Bulgarians and he is saving the Bulgarians. We met a man while we were there named Evo. I kept thinking his thing, his name was Evil, and I knew that wasn't right, but his accent was thick and it was hard to understand, but his name was Evo. He's only been saved for six months. And Evo was raised under communist rule. And he felt a heart for the Ukrainians that were suffering under the Russians. And he wanted to help, but he didn't trust the government to help. Somebody told him to give to a church, but he didn't trust the Bulgarian Orthodox Church because for so many years they had been in on him. Somebody mentioned Lydia to him, and he knew Lydia since she was a child. So he went and talked to them. And he was just going to ask how. How do I help them? And they found that they already had Ukrainians living in their church. Found that they had a stockpile of Medical equipment and food that they were going to take into Ukraine to give to people. But where they were going was dangerous. They could not find a Bulgarian driver to take them all the way to the village in the Ukraine where they were going. They had to drive. He would, a Bulgarian driver would take them to the border and a Ukrainian driver would pick them up, drive them to the village and drop off the supplies. The village was actively being bombed at the time. And Evo asked them, he said, aren't you afraid? But you're afraid you're going to die. Lydia said, our life is in God's hands and this is what God wants us to do. And if God is ready for us to go home, then we will. And if he's not, we'll be back. And Evo kind of had to go home and just stare at the wall for a couple of days. He didn't have any sort of worldview to understand that kind of selfless. Courage. 
So he started going to the church. Listening to the God that they talked about and the Savior they proclaimed. And he became a believer. He told them he, he, he wanted the Jesus they believed in. He was redeemed. While we were there, we saw a Ukrainian man who lived in the upstairs. And he's lived there for quite a while and not had a, an interest in the church, but he came to the presentation that we did with the, the hospital. And when the hospital people left, he, he said he wanted to say something to the church people. He said, in the Ukraine, the churches care about God, but not people. In Bulgaria, the churches are focused on people, but don't care about God. But what we had done, that connected the two in a way he had never seen before. And he had never used the language of a personal relationship with God. He had never even heard that before that night, but he wanted that. And he didn't know what this church was, but he wanted to be a part of it. It was the right one. The work is hard in Bulgaria, but Jesus is redeeming people in Bulgaria. When we get to heaven and gather... In this great worship scene we see in Revelation 7, there will be Bulgarians gathered with us, worshiping Jesus with us because of the faithfulness of Tim and Lydia and the rest of Team Bulgaria. But get this, we have a part to play in this as well. The work the Hannah Project did and has done in the past helped some of these people come to Jesus. Our church has always supported Free will Baptist missions. And so part of what we have done through the years in giving to missions helps support this. Jesus is redeeming people in Bulgaria and, and we are a part of that. But Jesus is not only redeeming people in Bulgaria. Jesus is redeeming people in Gaiman. Jesus died to save the Gaimanites and he will save the Gaimanites. When we gather to the great worship scene in heaven, there will be Bulgarians gathered with us from Gaiman. And together we will worship Jesus because of the faithfulness of this church and the rest of Team Gaiman. Jesus is redeeming people in Gaiman and we are a part of this. Part of what this means for us is what we do matters. Tim Lydia and the rest of Team Bulgaria serve in small churches in small towns, in a small country. And what they do matters for eternity. And we serve in a small church, in a small town, in a small state. And what we do matters for eternity. Never forget this. Never think this is just checking a box to come to church. Never think sharing the gospel or inviting someone to church is wasted effort. Never think you're wasting money when you give to the church. Never forget the message of Jesus and the response it demands from us. Never forget the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. Never forget the method of Jesus is to reach people through people. Never forget the power of Jesus to save all who will believe. Never forget the purpose of Jesus is to empower His church so the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Never forget. Jesus has given us a mission to ensure the gospel is preached in all the world and to all the nations as a witness unto them. As a church, we are not a civic organization. We are not the religious arm of a political party. We are a gospel mission tasked by Jesus to ensure the gospel is preached in all the world unto all the nations. And this means we must live and act like a gospel mission. As a gospel mission, we must give to missions. And as a gospel mission, we must go to missions. As a gospel mission, we must send people to missions. And as a gospel mission, we must support missions. But understand this. To be a gospel mission, we must be gospel missionaries. Our church is nothing but a reflection of who we are. For us to be a gospel mission, we must be gospel missionaries. So not only must the church give and go, you and I 
must give and go. You and I must send and support. And we do it to ensure the gospel is fully proclaimed in Gaiman and to the ends of the world. To do this, we must turn away from our sin, which brings the terrible wrath of God upon us. We must believe in the Jesus who died to save us from this wrath. And we must commit our lives to him. But we must also give our lives to ensure this message is shared with others. We must give to missions and we must live on mission. Guyman, Guyman is overall just as lost as Bulgaria is. We have more churches, but we don't have that many more disciples of Jesus than they did. We must embrace the mission. We must live as gospel missionaries. I'm going to stand.